0: Okay, Last week we talked about uh, exposing false doctrines, doctrines of demons. We believe that that was specifically referring to the Roman Catholic Church. And then we applied it to your life so that you could see how you could uh, teach true doctrine and not fall into the way of heresy. We talked about the difference between uh, doing something wrong, wrongdoing or not having the right knowledge to lying to then becoming a hypocrite. And then becoming a heretic. So you learn the difference between those things. Uh, Where we're going to take off today is at verse 11 and onward. Verse 11 and onward says this. Command and teach these things. Well, what are the things that we are to command and teach? We are to teach people not to listen to doctrines of demons. Amen. That's what we're supposed to teach. Now, the... The statement that came before that in verse 10 that deserves all acceptance, full acceptance, and is trustworthy is that God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. So we're teaching not to follow doctrines of demons, but teaching to follow God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Amen? So just recapping on what we're doing verse by verse here. Command and teach these things. There you go. Now verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters, the matters just discussed in the the prior verses. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Come on, amen. What a motivation for what we're going to be talking about today. But if you have these things right, your doctrine and your character, you can not only save yourself but those who are hearing you. Now, we know we're not Saving ourselves based on our works—it's based upon the work of Christ. But you got to have the right doctrine. The Jehovah Witnesses say they believe in Jesus, but they're not saved because they're not putting their faith in the true Jesus. It's another Jesus. So your doctrine is very important to your salvation. Amen. Now, Adolfo, follow along here with some notes on the screen. Put a Microsoft Word up there nice and big so everybody can see it, because I want you to see how a preacher preaches exegetically from the Scriptures. Amen? And as he's doing it right now, take your notes and do it the same way. So what we're going to do is simply start as a note, put verse number 10, and then put this statement right here next to verse number 10, which is, God is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. So you're going to do points as verses, and I'm going to just show you how to do that today. Because part of what preaching is in a chapel is to teach preachers how to preach. So just put the word uh, uh, VS.10 and then put the statement, uh, God is the Savior of all men, especially for those who believe. There you go. There's a simple way to do it. Now, verse 11 is, put verse 11 after that. I'm going a little fast, I know, for you. But command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. And now I'm going to list to you those things verse by verse. Can you say amen? Can you say thank God for a preacher that preaches the word and not tells us stories about when he grew up on the farm? (laughs) Amen. you got a preacher of the word today, and he's teaching you how to do that. Just to make it a little bit nicer, put a comma after our 11, just so it looks a little nicer. There you go. Say command and teach these things. Say it one more time. Command and teach these things. Amen. Are you all getting how to learn your word today as the preacher is preaching? This is Bible college. Amen. We're going to put the straw a little bit higher off the ground today. You've got to stretch a little bit to get it. Amen. Yeah, we're not just going to put it nice and easy for you on a Sunday morning. I want you to do a little work today. So command and teach these things, brothers, under verse 11. And then put under verse 12, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But be an example for believers. So if someone can type faster than Adolfo, you might want to switch him out right now because at his pace we'll be here till 3 in the morning. Amen. God bless you, Adolfo. We love you. Bert, are you going to type faster? Okay, he says he can type. Oh, no, hold on. We're going to give Adolfo one more chance. He caught up there. He caught up. Okay, amen. Verse number 12, be an example uh, for believers and don't let people look down on you because you're young. Now, under verse 12, Just simply make a, uh, a go down after you hit that, enter. Just hit enter right now so they can see it. Then hit tab, and then now just put number one. There you go. Because now this is the example for the believers that they need to have. speech, number two, life. Number three, love. Number four, faith. Number five, purity. Does everybody see that? Are you all learning how to preach the word right now? See, people ask me, Pastor, why don't you have any notes when you preach? It's because I've learned to preach how I read the Bible. And how you read the Bible needs to be verse by verse, word upon word. That's why I don't need any notes. There's nothing up my sleeve today. All I have in front of me is a Bible on this doodad on my phone. Amen? Now, I'm not trying to make you say, ooh, and ah, about Pastor Joe. I'm just teaching if you study yourself full, you can preach yourself empty. Amen? So that's how a good preacher can preach. Charles Finney wouldn't write his notes, and John Wesley wouldn't write their notes until after they preached the sermon. Then they would publish them in their books. Why? Because they knew how to preach in such a way that it was logical and it made sense of the text that they were talking about. Now, a good preacher will have the understanding of where speech, life, love, faith, and purity is found all throughout the Bible to cross-reference it for you. Now, today I don't have time to give you a lot of cross-references, but I could talk to you about each one of those things in cross-reference form. Amen? Now, keep on going. Now, go to verse 13. Yeah, cross on over. Good job. And then it says, keep preaching and teaching the Scripture publicly. Keep preaching and teaching the Scripture publicly is verse number 13. Verse number 14 is do not neglect your gift. Do not neglect your gift. Do not neglect your gift. And then verse 15 is give yourself wholly to being an example and a good preacher and teacher. And then lastly, verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Okay, so I'm going to go over it one more time as Adolfo's filling it in right here, and then I'm going to show you why am I doing this today in this message. Because, well, I'm just going to show I can't get into that. Okay, just starting again at verse 10. As he's catching up, make sure you have your notes. This is a trustworthy saying that God is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Verse 12, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but be an example of believers. How are we supposed to be an example of believers in verse 12? Here it is, be an example in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. Verse 13, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, preaching and teaching. Verse fifteen, uh, verse 14, rather: don't neglect your gift that's been given to you. And verse 15, give yourself wholly to this, preaching and teaching. So you're going to give yourself wholly to being an example. There you go. You had it. Being an example of a believer and preaching and teaching. And then verse 16 says, persevere, don't give up, and your ministry. Now, why am I showing you this today? Because this is the message. The message is being an example of believers, God is calling you to be a leader. Now look at the life of Timothy. Who is Timothy? Timothy is the disciple that came from the travels of Paul that now has been left in Ephesus. And he's a young man, more than likely somewhere in his late teens, early 20s. He hasn't been in any type of Jewish synagogue or uh, uh, training. He wouldn't be allowed because he was half a Jew, but a true Jew from the sense of his mother. But he wouldn't be allowed in any of the training because he wasn't full. So he had no theological training other than what he got from his grandmother, which we learn in the Bible. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah for grandmothers. How many of you, if you don't have a grandmother, want to be a grandmother that raises up great grandchildren to be Timothy's? Amen. So there it shows about a heritage of the Lord. So other than that training, Paul takes them, and this establishes the connect mentor send of how we called in the church, or the discipler-disciplee technique of raising up people in the ministry. And that's what a Bible college has to imitate: is we take on the young men and women to ourselves as leaders, and then we take them out with us, teach them how to do what we do. And then they themselves do it. So first it goes like this. Watch what I do. Watch what I do. Watch. You're watching pastor preach. You're watching pastor lead a church. Watching leaders lead. You watch what I do. Then I'll watch you do it. Then I'll say, It's your turn. You do it. But I'm going to watch over you. Oh, let me check your notes before you preach. Every week, Pastor Adolfo, uh, uh, rather, Pastor Adam submits his notes of what he's going to preach every week because he's still in school. He's still in training. So, first is watch what I do. Then I'm going to watch what you do. And then what's the next step? Get somebody to watch what you do. Because it continues. Do you get it? Then Adam, after he gets well trained at it, then he's going to take some young guys under him and he's going to say, Come on, guys. I'm going to teach you how to preach. Watch what I do. Then I'm going to watch what you do. And then get others to watch what you do. Connect, mentor, send. Reach one to teach one to reach one to teach one. It's another way of saying it. Everybody say, Reach one to teach one to reach one. So you keep reaching and teaching and reaching and teaching. And that's exactly what... uh, Paul is doing through with Timothy, and that's why the book is even written. It is a pastoral epistle because it is a shepherd the word. Pastor really means shepherd in the Greek. It is a shepherding letter of a spiritual father writing to Timothy, saying this is how you do the ministry. And as we've been tracking through the book, we've learned that he's a spiritual son of Timothy. That he comes from that spiritual lineage. Uh, excuse me, Timothy's a spiritual son of Paul. He comes through that lineage, and you got are coming through the lineage of here your spiritual sons and daughters obviously of God but of this house learning and imitating from what God is doing here as Paul said in the Corinthians follow me as I follow Christ can you say amen so you're following us as as Timothy was following Paul and then as it goes on he says this is how I want you to establish the church establish it upon elders and deacons and when we look at the book of Acts we see that Paul and Barnabas travel together establishing churches appointing elders in every city and then we see that he tells them now watch out for false doctrine because once you get a couple people together and you give them some authority if they're not humble and careful they can get off into their own tangents and that's why church splits and that's why different things happen and you might say man that church was good at one time but it became goofy because false doctrine or or or, or goofy traditions seeped in and, and unaware as the bible says and it began to corrupt the church so he's telling him establish it upon elders and And you oversee these people and the way I like to look at it is Paul is like an apostolic elder elder simply just means overseer or older person And so he's like uh, the apostolic one starting the church. Then you look at Timothy. He's the pastoral elder He's the one that's actually there in the congregation the house churches and then the elders and deacons They're uh, they're providing the first group of those elders are like governing elders They're like governing the affairs of the church and the deacons are serving And that's why Metro Praise does its structure that way. We call everybody elders and deacons. The one who start the church, we call the apostolic elders. The ones who pastor the church, we call pastoral elders. The lay people who govern the issues and still preach and teach, but they're more lay and more governing in their role, we call them governing elders. And then the deacons, those who serve with them, we call them deacons. Amen? Now, he begins to tell it false doctrine can come in, but I've got a word for you, Timothy. If you do these things, you won't allow false doctrine to come in. It, it won't happen. It will, it will protect you, just like knowing the real protects you from no, uh, getting a counterfeit. You don't study at the bank. My wife will, will affirm this, and even Walter Martin in his book, Kingdom of the Cults, talks about people who work in the banking industry. They, they don't study all the counterfeits. They study the original to the point where anything different from the feel the smell the look how it is then you recognize that's a counterfeit because you know the real so good amen And the idea is, okay, apologetics is good, rebuking false religions is good, uh, Timothy, but don't just get so caught up in that that you don't do the right thing so well. Focus more on you doing the right thing than them doing the wrong thing. You focus on what I've called you to do, and then the wheat will separate from the chaff. The Bible even says that some won't be known as as wheat or chaff until the end times, you know. I kind of look at that like the Seventh-day Adventists. They're so close to believing, but yet they're, they're so close to being a cult. Well, we don't know if they're going to heaven or hell. Catholics, some are, you know, they really seem born again, but we really just don't know. And the Bible says at the end times, the wheat will be separated from the chaff. And then at the same time, there may be a, a chaff or weeds rather in this church that we think are totally serving the Lord. But when they get picked up on judgment, God's going to say they were a weed. Depart from me. I never knew you. So that's how, that's how important your doctrine is and your character. So if I were to sum up this passage of Scripture today, it's called the example of believers. The example of believers. And what is the example of believer? Yes, it's these five things, but what would would be a way just to remember it? It is in your doctrine and in your character. Be an example of the Christian church in your doctrine and your character. I can have the doctrine right, you know. Uh, Samson had the doctrine right. He didn't worship another god, but he had his character wrong. Are you all following me? He, he believed in the God of Israel. He didn't go off and worship pagan gods. It never really says he did anything that was, you know, you know, anti-god in the sense of his belief system. But what he kept doing was violating the laws of God and his character and his conduct. Now you have other people that that are living all uh, righteous, like there are Muslims who live right, they may not smoke, drink, or chew, or hang with those who do, they may not be prostitutes, they may be raising their children, but they don't have the right doctrine, thus they're not saved. So it's not just being a good person, because we know that the righteousness of man is like filthy rags in the eyes of God, according to Isaiah. So you not only have to have the right doctrine, you have to have the right lifestyle, and the lifestyle... has to line up with the doctrine somebody say example to believers or of believers now what that is really saying is if you look at this verse right here look at verse 12 don't let anyone look down on you because you are young but set an example for the believers for the believers meaning if i'm a believer and you're a believer i want to set an example for you of how to live so i'm giving you an example Then you can also look at the example for believers that there's been believers long before you and I ever got here, and we are an example of what they are or were. So I want to be the type of Christian today that God loved back in the 17th century. I want to be the type of Christian today that God honored in the 4th and 5th century. There shouldn't be two different types of Christians. There isn't a third covenant called the Mormon church that came along. Amen. We are in one covenant right now. That means when we get to heaven, we're all going to be judged the exact same way. God does not care about your Facebook, your MySpace. He doesn't care about popular uh, theology. He doesn't care about the next televangelist selling you a bunch of goods at the the bookstore, $5.99, your best life now. He doesn't care about any of that. He is going to judge you by the same way he's judged all the Christians of the century. So you need to be an example for believers. What is a believer? Live it today in the 21st century. Live out what a believer is. The believer is going to have conduct and they're going to have doctrine. Now here's some of the points that are going to help you understand how to have good conduct and good doctrine in verse 12. Set an example for the believers in speech. Now let's go to James. and Let's talk about what our tongue can do if it's not used the right way. Amen. Let's go to James chapter 2. And learn today that if your speech is not right, the Bible literally says that it can be a fire uh, from the pits of hell itself. Go to the book of James. Is it James chapter 1? James chapter 3. Praise God. Now this is where the preacher might do good if he had some notes. Amen. Praise God. God knows where it's at. Amen. He's going to help us. I'm going to learn it too. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should be presumed to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more severely, more strictly. Well, hold on. I thought anybody who had a YouTube channel and a little video camera could become a teacher. I thought anybody that had a website could write an article and become a teacher. Is that what it says? No, so we got to be careful about YouTube classes and Google University. Don't listen to everything you see on YouTube and everything you find on the Internet. That does not mean they know what they're talking about. We need to have an established order of elders and deacons, and most of those people are not ordained as an elder or deacon in their ministry. And when they're out doing their ministry, they're outside of the authority of the church. See, God said it should be done through elders and deacons. That's why I like Dr. James White. He says, yes, I'm an apologist. Yes, I go out and do apologetic ministries, but I am based out of this church, and I am appointed as an elder here. That means I have been anointed and appointed. The second part of the message yesterday was when God consecrated the priests, it says he anointed them and he ordained them. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean you're appointed yet. You got to be anointed and appointed just because somebody comes to the church and says man, I can preach doesn't mean we're gonna let you preach You may have the gifting and the anointing But we now need to see your character and we got to appoint you through the through what the Bible says elders and deacons We got to go through that you can't be a novice You can't be given to to filthy lucre or the love of money filthy lucre was my King James memory coming back there A little weird for you guys. I know but I memorized a lot in the King James so the Bible talks about what we need to do. So here it says in James, don't many of you think you're teachers? That means you've got to be trained up and raised up the right way. Don't be a novice. You know, Just don't get out there and say because you know something, you can teach something. The best thing you need to do is to serve. And to be trained up. This gospel ship's been riding for a long time before you got here. We don't need you to come from the caboose and take over the engine room now. Amen. Well, I'm in charge. You know, we don't need that. What we need is the order of the house. Amen. So don't just many of you think yourself to be teachers. So we have a process of that in our church through discipleship and the appointment of elders and deacons. Amen. Now, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways if anyone is never at fault in what he says. He is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So if you can keep your mouth in check, James is saying you're basically perfect, man. You got it down. And, and I could keep you here all day about how the tongue is connected to the mind and the mind to the tongue. What you say is what you think, and what you think is what you say. And sometimes we try to figure out what comes first. But it's hard to really diagnose it. I would probably say the mind comes first because that's, that's where your speech gate comes from. And then you speak, and then you think on it, and then you speak on it. And what the Bible is saying is you need to get a hold of that. Get a hold of that. As a matter of fact, it's about ready to tell you to tame it. Amen. So it says, if you can keep this in check, you're a perfect man. And look at verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. See, there is a power in the control. The the, the animal has power, but the one controlling him, that animal, has more power. So you may let somebody have it with your mouth. You may say, I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to be powerful all upon them. But the one who's more powerful... Is the one who controls it. I have to stop preaching right now. Just all get to the altar right now. Come one by one. I'll be there after. The, I'll be the first one right there. We shouldn't boast because we can be so openly like aggressive or be mean or tell it as it is all the time to people in such a way where it offends, hurts them, and breaks apart their confidence in God. We hurt them. Now, I'm not saying we should preach a soft patty cake gospel, but you know what I'm talking about when you've been mean or when you've said something you shouldn't have said or when you've just been mean to somebody. The Bible says it takes more power to control The thing that has the power, which our tongue has the power. So our soul, our our inner man needs to control that. That's where the power is. Amen? Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great bows. Somebody say great bows thank you consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark the tongue is also a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body it corrupts the whole person's the whole person sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by what hell oh my gosh this is serious James is saying if you can't tame your tongue, the fires of hell will take it over and bring a whole world of evil into your life. Think about how a marriage can fall apart because husbands and wives don't know how to control their tongue. Set on fire by hell, the devil comes in with temptations, will tell your wife this. Well, don't you know that's you're right? You should really tell her how dumb she is because she's not right. And you start taking this temptation of the devil, set on fire by hell, and you will bring a world of evil into your family. Destroy a marriage. What about to your children? The Bible says fathers don't embitter or provoke your children to anger. You, you, you have children, you know, my wife and I, we have two beautiful daughters right now, and I'm realizing that children are noisy, and sometimes they're smelly. And if you just tell them that all the time, they're going to get a bad lo- uh, self-esteem. If I just go to Bethany, Bethany, you're just so noisy. Why, where did you come from? Where did you get that from? You must have got that from your mom, You're so No, you're so- <laughs> no I'm kidding. And then, no, you know I'm the noisy one. And then you're so smelly, you just, you smell sometimes, you're pooping on yourself and you're doing all this. If we told them those types of things, our words would be set on fire by hell and bring a world of evil to those children. Children, some of you might have grew up in houses where your parents always told you things that were negative, put you down. Put you down because of your weight. Put you down because of your looks. Put you down because you couldn't win the football game. Put you down because of your grades. Put you down because of what you didn't do or do around the house. It can affect your family. Now how much more so the family of God? We could see somebody struggling in sin. And the Bible says there's a way to do it with mercy. And then there's a way to do it, you know, with the fires of hell. But sometimes, you know, we may be bringing the wrong fire. There could be somebody in a sin. You know, we look at people's Facebooks all the time. You can always tell when somebody gets saved, you go to their friend, you know, you friend them and you're Facebooking them and you're like, oh, Lord, oh, I can't look at this picture. You know, I can't see this thing because sometimes the women are exposing themselves. The guys are holding some beer. I'll never forget Griselda and the Corona. You know what I'm saying? Just, I'll just never forget it because that's what I saw. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, she needs the Lord. But what do you do? You love on them. You help them through that. And if you're ever one of those ladies who gets another talk from a lady in the church that says, Hey, you probably shouldn't have these pictures. Of, take it with the right heart. Don't be convicted about it. Or if you're one of those guys that we've had to talk to and we say, Man, you, you've got so many of these pictures and clubs and, and and you're going to give people the wrong impression of who you are. You're holding on to girls from, from Hooters, and they're both on your, you know, like two girls here. And, you know, you know what I'm talking about, guys. Come on, let's keep it real. I've had to talk to gentlemen like that. Dude, You, I know that was your 31st birthday, but you know what? You've got to get that off there, okay? Come on. But where, where am I going with that? Where, where I'm going with that is that how you talk affects how you are. And if you don't believe you are who God said you are, you'll keep talking yourself down into defeat. And you'll put your children down. You'll put your family down. And you'll put your ministry down. Amen. And just keep on going just for a minute here. It says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed. And they have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Look at your neighbor and say you can't do it. You see, it's impossible for you to do it. But I've got an answer. And his name is J-E-S-U-S. And he came with an anointing. And he said, my anointing will break the yoke. See, the anointing of God can change the way you talk. It can take away stinking thinking and stinking talking, and God can transform your words into words of life. Amen? Go to Ephesians right here and learn how you should be talking. I believe it's Ephesians chapter 3. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 when the Bible talks about letting no unwholesome word come from without of your mouth, but let every word be for edification and be for the lifting up of your brothers and sisters, those who are around you. Praise God. Let's go here to Ephesians. I believe it's chapter 4. Here it is, chapter 4 in Ephesians. Ephesians. Moving on down to chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity. Well, I don't I don't cuss. I just say these few words. It's not cussing to me. You've lost sensitivity. Well, I'm not being mean. I'm just telling them as it is. No, you're being mean. You've lost sensitivity. And I can testify as a preacher that I lost sensitivity, even as a Christian, because I didn't know how to get into the new self. And for many years of the ministry, I cut people down so hard, but I called it God. And people would come to me and say, man, you are cutting people down. I mean, we appreciate your passion, Joe. We appreciate the rebukes, but you are just cutting people down. And it wasn't until God dealt with me personally that God showed me, no, you've lost sensitivity. And then now Nancy will tell you, and even those of you in this ministry, you've experienced it. I am the most sensitive one to come back and say, I'm sorry if you took it that way. I'm sorry I didn't mean it to be that way. Please forgive me. That's not the way it was supposed to be. Can you say amen? Now keep on going down because we just don't have time to read the whole part there. But Ephesians 4 will hit on every part of today, uh, today's examples of being a believer. But go to verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And look at this verse right next to it. And do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and their talk grieved the spirit? Boy, I could tell an example right now, but it's too close to. It would probably maybe offend somebody. And I gotta watch my words, but I'll tell you this: man, we we have had meetings, Holy Ghost meetings and then we'll come up at these altars and talk to people, and sometimes people will come up right after church, and maybe they're well intending, but they'll let some garbage come out of their mouth, they'll talk about other churches, I can tell you this example, when we started this new campus here, when we came a brother came, and he said, well I'm so glad you're here, because that church down the road has done me so wrong, and he went on and on and on, he named the name continually, and I know those people and I said, listen man, first of all, once he did that, I just felt, you could see like this, the, uh, the, uh, the balloon of the Holy Ghost Like this big helium balloon is go And just hit the floor Are you listening to me And I said brother Don't talk about that pastor Because I know that pastor I know that person, but he wouldn't listen. He kept going on and on and on and on. And before you know it, I got him into the back room and I said, unless you let me call that pastor right now, I'm going to ask you not to come back here. We're not going to handle any of that. And guess what he did? He rolled out. And if you look at the picture of me with one arm around Ricky and one arm around David Carrasco, and it's a grand opening picture you can find on my Facebook, and you see this big old cheesy smile on my face. That's right after he left. Monica had a picture, and I said, it's the Metro, baby, and I just smiled like that. Click, grand opening picture. Now you know the story, and that's why I said it's one of the favorite pictures of my life. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by how you talk. How many of you guys have come home from a great church service and you're you're riding with your fiance or your husband or wife, and all of a sudden, boop, 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 and then Brrr. there goes the Holy Ghost. Brrr. It just hits the floor. It's all man. My wife and I have been there so many times. Hey, you be quiet. No, you be quiet. Code red. You know. Brrr. It's just, all there's the hot air balloon going. Code red is what we say when things have gone nuts and we got to both chill out. See, with your words, you can set the whole place on fire and you can grieve the Holy Ghost. We don't want to grieve the Holy Ghost. And then look at these things that come from our words. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice can come from our words. But what should our words do? They should be for the building up of others. That word building up is exhortation of others meeting their needs. So take, for example, somebody comes to me, as Agnes did, and they express disagreement about where they've come from. What's the better way? Listen to what I'm saying and be built up. Go through it the right way. Some of you, in your marriages, you may have fights and disagreements. That's okay. Nobody is perfect. But then build each other up. My wife and I say the four-minute rule, compliment each other. The first four minutes of every day set the the tone for the day. And then at any time, if there's a fight or disagreement, we say compliment. And then that means we've got to stop. And then we've got to compliment each other. So, you know, it's like, I'm going to, you know, hit you with this bat over your head. Compliment. You're so beautiful. She's got the bat in her hand, you know. Or what would it be? Realistically, it would be the spatula. I've got whacked with that a few times. She grabs it, chases me around the house. Pat, you know, compliment. Compliment. So if you, ever, if you ever come into the house and you see like a spatula laying there and there's no baking going on. You just know you came at one of those moments, amen. Somebody's at the door, we'll put it down. Coming back to you later, amen. Let's go to the next one, live. Now life has to do with everything in life That's quite a big subject But how can we be an example Particularly in our life I like to say this is the Zoe uh, The God kind of life The Greek word for life is Zoe and And it does touch on the psyche life The psyche also means soul or life So we don't want to get so hyper spiritual Like every time the word Zoe is used It's a spiritual God kind of life Just like with agape A lot of people get carried away with that word love But agape is used for other things as well It's just that word for intense love My point The point is this, you need to have a spiritual life that is an example to the believers. And let's just go to that scripture of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to see how your spiritual life should be. Now, of course, can I talk about life and all the other things? Yes, but I feel those other things are already being dealt with in speech, faith, and purity. So let's just deal with spiritual life here and how God talks about it through the Apostle Paul here again. But 1 Corinthians 14 says it so well. I wish I had time to get into all of these points today. Obviously, I'm just glossing over them. But it says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire. What? Okay, we all need to get to that passage. Come on, college students, get there. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, now I need you to help me preach. For Here it goes, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire. Thank you. So what are we supposed to eagerly desire? Spiritual gifts especially to prophesy. Now I know some people get caught up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it talks about one gets this gift, one gets that gift, Do all have this gift. That would not be contradicted in these next following chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is simply talking about the public meeting, how things are to happen, that all of us may not have it in the public meeting, or all of us may not have it all at the same time. I'm not walking around with like seven shotguns, you know. In my, I mean nine shotguns in my hand. No, God just gives you the one at that proper time. But if you then go to First Corinthians chapter 14, he clarifies it. He says, guys, seek them all. Seek them all. Get hungry for them. Have a spiritual life, especially to prophesy. And then he begins to talk about the difference between prophecy and tongues. And then how if tongues is not understood, it's really only benefiting a believer, which once again causes a conundrum for the one who doesn't think speaking in tongues is a, a unknown language. They think it's always supposed to be known, as it was in Acts chapter two. Why does it say in Acts chapter fourteen, just a few verses down, it says in um, look at verse uh, chapter fourteen. Verses 2 onward, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Well, hold on. I thought every tongue is supposed to be like Acts chapter 2, where everybody always understands it. No, there's different types of tongues. Glossolalia in the Greek simply means languages. We call it tongues in the English, but glossolalia in the Greek just means languages. There's different kinds of languages. He even differentiates that in 1 Corinthians 13. There's a tongues of men and tongues of angels. I personally don't believe angels are up in heaven going, hey, Jesus, how are you doing? Some people think he speaks Hebrew. I think there's a plurality of languages Also, there's probably been about four thousand languages upon this earth that, that have been used by people Not every time I speak in tongues it may be an angelic language It may be one of those four thousand languages spoken by other people But the point is it doesn't have to be understood by you because there is a type of tongue and spiritual experience Where the bible says for anyone who speaks in this tongue does not speak to men, but to god indeed no one, somebody say no one, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. In Acts chapter 2, did they understand him? They did understand him. They say we hear them declaring the glory of God in our own languages. But did they say they understood him at Cornelius' house? No. Did it say they understood him at John's baptism? Well, then some people say, well, it's the law of the first principle. Wherever it happens first, that means from that point on it doesn't have to qualify itself. You're just supposed to assume where it describes it the first time, now it's applied to every other time. It's called the principle of the first thing or the first experience. But then why does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that there's an experience of tongues that no one understands, neither the speaker nor the hearer, the only person that understands is God. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. So we begin to understand that there's a spiritual life that can't be glossed over by non-spirit-filled people. They just can't say, that's not for me, or that was for that time, or it's only when somebody understands you. And it's so funny that they say all of those things, and yet they do exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says, which says, concerning spiritual gifts, my brothers, do not be ignorant. They come out of a place of ignorance. So I like to ask them, have you ever spoken tongues? No. Okay, number two, has your tongues ever been heard in another language? No. Okay, uh, number three, have you ever seen the working of miracles because you had the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No. So you have never spoken tongues. Your tongues have never been understood by anybody, and you've never been using the working of miracles, and yet you want to tell someone who has spoken tongues, it's been understood twice by people in India, and has seen the working of miracles, I shouldn't be doing it. God help them. God help them. Amen. You can, you can get somebody saved, but you can't get the spirit of stupid out of them unless they want it. Amen. You gotta, you, you, you can't rebuke the spirit of Forrest Gump out of people. They have got to be willing to learn and be taught. Amen. And he said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. My brothers, don't be ignorant. Now there's a difference between being stupid and ignorant. The Bible calls it foolish or being a fool. And what did Mr. T say about a fool? He said, I pity a fool, so do I. Amen. I pity the fool. You ain't speaking in tongues. Your tongues aren't being understood. You're not seeing miraculous powers and yet you're trying to get us to stop. Just quit that. Amen. Just look at your neighbor and say, uh, uh-uh, uh, not here. <laughs> okay. Praise God. So, so here's the way you simply understand it. You are a spiritual being. Some people believe in trichotomy, which is the body, soul, and spirit. Other is dichotomy, soul, and spirit is one, and the body is the second thing. So it's either tri, body, soul, and spirit, three separate parts making up you, or dichotomy. Y'all ain't writing notes. You must have already heard that dichotomy, trichotomy thing, huh? You guys aren't even following me. Track it. Write it down, baby. By and trichotomy, I couldn't spell it for you right now, but somebody will later for you. Bychotomy uh, means you are a soul and a spirit as one, with a body being a second thing. Trichotomy is you're a body, soul, and spirit, each being three. Now, I happen to be a trichotomist. I believe that we're body, soul, and spirit because of Thessalonians. It says, I pray you be sanctified holy in your body, soul, and spirit. He lays it out that way. Now, what is my point? Either way, if you're a trichotomist or dichotomist, it doesn't matter. You have an incorporeal part about who you are—a spiritual nature. Are you with me? When you're born again, that spiritual nature is united and empowered by the Spirit of God. You are now with Christ in heavenly places, and Christ is now within you. You are a new creation, sealed with His Spirit, and you are walking and talking with Him every day. When I say Jesus lives in my heart, I'm not saying that He lives within my uh, cardiovascular system and He's dodging the capillaries. I'm saying that Jesus lives within my spiritual nature, and when I say Jesus talks to me, I'm not talking about Casper the ghost or my imaginary friend named Ted that I used to play football with in my bedroom when i say he talks to me he is talking through the spiritual nature which is understood by my mental life my conscious mind and i normally hear it in the voice that i hear myself think but it comes from an unknown source because i say i never would think that crazy thought but i know it's god are you listening to me somebody say spiritual life so now we have a spirit that is empowered by God, walking with God, talking with God. God is speaking to us. We are hearing Him. We're empowered. We're anointed. We're experiencing dreams, visions, supernatural things. And now the Bible says in Acts 2 that you're supposed to be endured with power. Now there's, there's going to be a sign that follows after this. It's speaking in other tongues. We have tracked this out. Systematic theology just means you become systematic in your approach of doing things. So if I see here Jesus is, is God and then He acts as God here and then he forgives his God and then he takes on the name of God. Well, through systematically going through these passages of Scripture, it's safe to say Jesus is God. Are you with me? Even though Jesus never said, I am God, systematic theology says, if I take all of these Scriptures, I have a systematic, a logical approach. He is God. Amen? Now, when I look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual life, I do it the same way. God said I to be endued with dunamis power. I would have an explosive uh, energy living on the inside of me. Look at Acts chapter 2. When it comes, they speak in other tongues. I look at Cornelius' house. While Peter is still speaking, they speak with other tongues. I look at John's disciples in Acts, I believe, what, 19? Acts 19, John's disciples, they get filled. What do they do? They speak with other tongues. So what do I think is the experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost? Speaking in other tongues. Now, I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, and I see that there's also nine spiritual gifts. And one of these is called tongues, and there's an interpretation that goes with it. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this tongues with interpretation is labeled as something different because it's now equivalent to prophecy when it's interpreted, but yet I see there's a tongue right here at the beginning that is never interpreted. Did I move too fast? Or are you guys following me? There is a tongue here that's never, I'm going to read it again. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his tongue. I believe that is the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a prayer language between me and the Lord. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their encouraging, strengthening, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So, Joe, why are you speaking in tongues when nobody understands you? Because I'm edifying myself to God just as when I worship, I'm edifying myself unto God. Are you with me? Now, verse 5, I don't want anybody else to speak in tongues because it's going to go away in the next 50 years. Is that what he said? Come on. He says, I don't want anybody else to speak in tongues because it makes the visitors feel uncomfortable. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you prophesy. Praise God. I can have both, not one or the other. Amen. He wants you to speak in tongues, but he'd rather you prophesy. Why? Because tongues is just for you. Prophecy is for the body of Christ. And prophecy is not just preaching the gospel. I don't know where people got that from. But prophecy is speaking the mysteries of God with the voice of God. We didn't call that preaching in the Old Testament. Why do we call it now? Everybody could preach the the, the scrolls in the Old Testament. You didn't call the guy who picked up Jeremiah's scroll and started preaching in a prophet. You called Jeremiah a prophet because he heard directly from God. Now, some might say this causes a direct contradiction with the inspiration of the Scripture. No, it doesn't. The Bible even says that Jesus did all these other things that we didn't record. The Scripture was recorded the way it was to be the Scripture. Prophecy is not trying to compete or take the place of Scripture. It's just saying what God is saying to this moment at this time. And all of the people who think they're super spiritual, who say that from different camps, don't understand it every time they get up and say, Brothers, I believe the Lord spoke to me today. Are we supposed to stop and say, Oh, wait, wait. The, the Lord spoke to you. Let's write it down and take it to Scripture. No, we believe that God speaks to His people. The difference between just God speaking to, to Pastor so-and-so from the frozen chosen church and when we prophesy is we're actually saying it's not just for me in my prayer closet to feel the goosebumps. It's a word for you and the whole church. And it is to be tested. And the Bible says that the elders are supposed to be seated while the one is standing and they're supposed to judge if it comes from God or not. So there is order in the house. Amen. Now keep on going. I wish I had time. Help me, Jesus. Somebody say, preach it. Okay, now go on there to. Uh, oh, I just skipped a whole lot, but okay. Oh, let's verse thirteen. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. We shouldn't pray. We should pray that we interpret what we say. When you're speaking in tongues, edifying yourself in church, as we, I just did here, and as you've seen done, pray that you may interpret that glorious mystery so that people can hear it. So you may be going bump ba da bum, bump ba da bum. God I asked that I would understand but bum 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 and I know I'm being a little facetious, but follow me so I'm going bum bum God help me to know what that means. And then the Lord may put it on your heart. I am the king of glory. Prepare my people, prepare the way of the Lord. I am with you, and I'm going to establish you among this people. Well, now I've just edified you with what I was already saying. And when the two times when the the times my tongues were interpreted by the Indian people and they said, you're speaking our language, it was very much like that. Jesus is coming. The fire of God is here. Those were the things I was saying. And actually, Glenn will testify because he was in the room with one of the times. I actually said to an Indian brother who was Baptist who didn't believe in it, tongues is for real. This is from God. You should get in it. That was my tongue to him. His eyes became big his face became white he ran out the room glenn went to follow him and glenn said What are you doing? He said this brother just told me in my language that tongues is for real and I need to get it Now if i'm a liar then glenn's a liar and all those that were in the sgm college campus at that time were liars Because we all testify to that's exactly what happened How many of you heard brother glenn testify to it amen because I got him on the phone I wanted you to hear him testify to that time now it says, for, uh, for this reason, anybody, we should interpret verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. That's what we're talking I don't understand it. You may not understand it. So what shall I do? Shall I stop speaking in tongues because I don't understand it? No. I shall pray with my mind, and I will sing, and I will pray with my spirit. I will sing with my spirit, and I will also sing with my mind. And then it goes on to say if I'm just always doing this in tongues, nobody will understand me. So it is better to say one or two intelligible words than to just come in front of you going ba -ba you know, and that's not my tongue by the way, amen. But I'm just having some fun like biggity biggity ba like scat, you know. Okay? And so, you know, hey, I'm not just gonna come up here and be (laughs) like They were so involved in their spiritual gift, that's all they did is they just came up and kind of scattered. And they were just speaking in tongues, and people were like, what are you doing, Bob? I don't get it. So he said, it's better to say a few words we all understand than to get up there and try to talk in tongues the whole day. But that doesn't mean you can't do it in the congregation or to you and to God. Oh, praise God. Now look at uh, verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Amen. I want Chuck Swindoll to hear that. I want Josh, I want all my Baptist preachers to hear that. Amen. And I want to say it like like the way they say it too with a little twang on it, a little southern, you know. My man from the the Crystal Cathedral. What's his name? Crystal Cathedral. Oh, how do we all forget the Crystal Cathedral? Guy such a good Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley's Crystal Cathedral, right? Just just say Andy Stanley. Whatever he is, just Stanley. Charles Stanley. Charles, I speak in tongues more than you. I speak in tongues more than you, Josh McDowell. You think I'm crazy, man. Did the Bible say that? Why, why, Why was Paul telling them, I speak in tongues more than you? Because he was not ashamed of his spiritual life. He wasn't ashamed of it. We love our Baptist brother. We're not here to make fun of it. I'm just here taking it a little bit lightly so we can smile. But I'm, I'm just showing you in a, in, a, in a current context what that would sound like for a preacher to say to another preacher, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But... He says, in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in a tongue. And that's why I'm preaching right now. Amen. I've spoke more intelligible words than I have in my tongues today. But I did have my little tongue session. Amen. I got built up in my inner man. I felt the fire of God come through me. Amen. And then it just says, brothers, don't be like children. And then he goes on and talks about how tongues was going to be a sign. Now look at verse 22. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy is, however, for believers but not unbelievers. Now look together. So if the church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, some who do not understand or some believers who come in will think that you're out of your mind. Have you ever been a part of a church before you spoke in tongues, you heard them speaking in tongues, and you thought they were out of their mind? That's that's on purpose. That's on purpose. I almost just want to set the microphone down and just kind of bop each one of you on the head right now. Do you get it? You're not supposed to look sane and rational before people when you're speaking in tongues. It's actually a sign for them to think you're out of your mind. That's the sign. Now, in in Acts chapter 2, the sign was that it was being understood. And that's why we, in, in Pentecostalism, actually believe that the tongues was with the interpretation equaling the prophecy. So it wasn't tongues all by itself, how we see represented here. And so when tongues is just by itself not understood, it is still a sign that you're out of your mind. Because they are only left with three options. You're lying and you're faking it. You're a lunatic and you're pretending and you're just crazy and you don't even know you're crazy. Or you're really speaking in tongues and God is that. and and it's look at them we've had people come from other churches they see like Jared you know on his face speaking in tongues before God they don't know where they just ended up but they know one thing that we're not crazy in the sense like we're lunatics he hasn't wet his pants and had his pampers changed he's not lying because he's not trying to convince anybody of it he must have got zapped by the Holy Ghost touch your neighbor and go zap amen praise God It says, but if an unbeliever or someone who doesn't understand comes in, uh, or says, uh, look at verse 23. So if the whole church come together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and some do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? There it is. Praise God. You're out of your mind. Praise the Lord for that testimony. You hear that? He says, we're out of our mind. Praise God, we're doing it Right? Thank you, Jesus. But if an unbeliever or someone who doesn't understand comes in, while everybody is. Now, does it say somebody is prophesying or does it say everybody? Does everybody mean just somebody or does it mean everybody? When everybody is prophesying. He will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God exclaiming God is really among you. That sounds like what happened when Griselda saw some prophecy and also in this church when the, everybody gets the spirit everybody can prophesy two or three at most let the rest of them judge so if you're baptizing the Holy Ghost and we say this is now our time for you to speak on behalf of God what is he saying through prophecy if you come forward and do that you can lay out people's hearts bare and they can fall down and worship God as we've seen as a custom in this church it is our habit amen so they thought we were crazy and they're just going to walk out and all of a sudden they hear those prophecies and they say oh God is speaking to me and then the preacher gets up and preached the word and they go I know these people aren't lying and I know they're not lunatics this must be the fire of God It must be the fire of God because it's grounded and rooted in the Lord. Amen. That's a spiritual life. Love. Let's go to love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Write it down. I don't have time to get into it today. Uh, Faith. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. And let's give you an Old Testament one. Purity. Psalms 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol or sworn by what is false, he shall receive blessing from the Lord. This is the generation of those who seek your face, O God, of Jacob. There is a generation of God-seekers raising up in the land, but it must come through purity. And as my brother was mentioning the name of somebody in the back, that's my major concern. I can live with the the spooky kooky. I may not agree with it or do with it. But when people start becoming wine-bibbers, alcoholics, fornicators, and then they do those things in the spirit of God, I know that is a false spirit, and there's something wrong going on. So we have to live in purity. As they say, it's not how high you jump or how loud you shout. It's how straight you walk when you get out of church. It's not about just what you did on Sunday. It's how you live on Monday all the way to Sunday. God is looking for a pure bride. Psalms 24, my brother. So today I want to encourage you to be an example for believers. For the people here, to other believers. For unbelievers who are looking to what a believer is. And even to go to one other side, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, and let us run the race with perseverance, looking unto Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. My friend, do it for the believers here. Do it for the unbelievers out there and do it for the church of Jesus Christ who stands in the stadiums of heaven with a baton passed into your hand and is saying, run, run, run the race. Glorify Jesus upon this earth. Even martyrs now are under the throne crying out, God, when will you avenge us? And he says, now is not yet the time because the fullness of my gospel has not been preached and then the end shall come. Would you stand to your feet with me now? Would you bless the Lord for his word today from the word, amen? Praise God In closing today I'm just going to read the passage again Would you pull out your Bibles It will speak something fresh to you today If the preacher has done his job Amen If I did my job It will speak something fresh to you now As you read it again Verse 10 And we labor and strive That we have put our hope in the living God Who is the Savior of all men Especially of those who believe 1 Timothy 4 now 11 Command and teach these things Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set yourself as an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through a prophetic message when the bodies of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your character and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Does that speak to your heart today pretty clear? Amen. Hope, would you come to the piano, please? Let's just close our eyes today and just focus on Jesus for these last few moments we have together. Just anything, Hope, would be nice right now. Father, we just thank you that you have chosen us. I can speak for everyone that's been a part of this school, that God, elders have laid their hands on them and gifts have been released in their lives. Lord, they have callings on them. Lord, I thank you even for those that are now considering joining the school. Lord, begin to release callings on them as we lay hands on them, as the Bible says in fellowship. Lord, you said that to Timothy in the end times. People would turn to doctrines of demons. We've already seen it happen so many times. But Lord, you told him to be an example. Lord, I want to be that example. I know what it's like to be 22 years old starting off as a preacher and everybody looking down on me. But Lord, you put good men in my life that said, don't let nobody look down on you, Joe. You keep preaching. And today I want everyone as you're praying to hear my voice today. We're not going to let people look down on you. This church is going to guard you and protect you with integrity. And we're going to release you in the ministry when you go to your practicums, after school programs, adopt-a-block, evangelism, youth groups, small groups. We release you here. But we give you this charge. I give you this charge today as the elder in this house, as the overseer, by God's grace, a servant of the Lord. Be an example for believers. Be an example in how you talk. Right now, if there's words, you've got to confess to the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry for saying or doing these things with my words. Get it out right now. Just repentance all across this room. Lord, forgive me for saying the things that I've said. Be specific. You said it. Come on, own it right now. Maybe you cursed this week. Maybe you yelled at your wife, your brother, your sister, a friend, a co-worker, an employee. Jesus, forgive me. Put out the fires of hell because I can't. You said I can't, and I'm going to stop trying on my own you said you can put out the fire of hell jesus with the water of the holy ghost today give me uplifting words today oh god give me uplifting words god words that build up words that encourage words that meet the needs of people around me i don't want to grieve your spirit with my words Moving on now to your life, your spiritual life. Just begin to seek those spiritual gifts. Say, God, I want them. Jesus, use me. Use me, God. Oh, won't you use me, Jesus? If you can use anything, Lord, if you can use anyone, I know you can use me. Won't you use me, God? I can't heal, but you can. I can't tell people's past, but you can. I don't know the future, but you do, God. I don't have faith, but you have it, Lord. God, discerning the spirits, working of miracles, tongues and interpretation, oh God. Prophecy, Lord. I desire them today, God come on get rid of there's two things that will prevent the gifts from flowing sin and unbelief if you track the bible that's when they didn't flow jesus said he he couldn't do many the bible says jesus couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief and then other places like samson and different people's life like saul saul who had an ecstatic blissful time dancing with the prophets where did it go It drained out through the hole of sin in his bucket. His well should have been overflowing. But sin stole what God gave. Get rid of sin and unbelief. The Bible says love. Come on, how many of us want to love God more? You want to love your neighbor more? Just say, Lord, fill me with agape love. Fill me with your unconditional love. Sometimes people go through hard times and they actually get bitter and hateful and spiteful towards God. Come on, I've even had good Christians confess that. So if you're lacking in that love for God today, come on, surrender it. Surrender it. And especially if you're holding anything against somebody, any bitterness, unforgiveness, maybe the, 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 when I talked about moms and dads or parental figures, maybe that sparked something in you. Maybe you've been hurt by people in your life. Forgive them. Just say, I forgive those who have hurt me. You're not saying what they did is okay. But what you're saying is, God forgave me. I can forgive them. Jesus. 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 Oh, Lord God, we come to you. You're the only one. You're the only one. And now, just begin to say, God, fill me with faith. Faith to move a mountain. Faith the size of a mustard seed. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Cry out to God in your life today. Whatever you're doubting, say, Help me with my unbelief. Oh God, I believe for bills to be paid. I believe, God, for marriages to be restored. Oh Lord, help our unbelief. I believe for a hundred thousand in this city, God, to come to know you. Help my unbelief. We don't want no Ishmaels. I don't want an Ishmael, I want an Isaac. Some of you, because of unbelief, you try to make things happen. You'll take a job that you shouldn't have had. You'll get in a relationship you shouldn't have been in. And you'll make a mess out of it in the flesh. Repent of that and get back on the walk of faith. Get back on the walk of faith. You look at the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, you won't see one perfect person mentioned there. Even Abraham had an Ishmael, but yet he's still in the hall of faith. And it's even said of him that he did not waver. How do you not call having sex with a handmaiden and producing an Ishmael not wavering or lying twice about your wife being your sister? How do you call that not wavering? Because the Bible says, though a righteous man stumbles seven times, he gets back up. God's looking at the full picture, the journey. Abraham did not quit. God works through our mistakes God works through our imperfections Just don't quit Hallelujah That encourages me today If I do not faint in well doing I shall reap a reward Oh come on And now lastly just begin to pray over your life Purity From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet Purity 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 newness of mind newness of your internet newness of what you watch on tv what you listen to purity some of you deal with memories of the past and they come into the present cast them down the bible says take captive every thought cast it down in the name of jesus wash it with the blood till it can't have no more power over your life purity You are a new creation in Christ. Those who are led by the Spirit shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Some of us were trying to fight the flesh with the flesh. Well, I'll just pray more. I'll just fast more. Well, well, I'll just cut off my arm then. You don't fight the flesh with the flesh. I've actually had God tell me before, stop praying. You mean... We're supposed to pray. Yeah, communication with God praying. Yes, you're supposed to do that without ceasing. But sometimes my prayers would come from so much guilt and condemnation. You know what God would tell me? God would say, you're already forgiven. Believe it, now live it. Live it. What did Peter say? God, don't just wash my feet. Wash my whole body. He said, you're already clean. I'm not telling this to unbelievers with an excuse to keep sin. I'm telling this to believers who have condo bondo. There is no condemnation or bondage in Christ Jesus. You need to learn to accept forgiveness. You're not forgiven because you pray towards Mecca five times a day and fast during Ramadan. I know you want to be super spiritual and earn it, but you can't. Just receive it as a child. Grace is not grace if it's not a gift given. It's not by works lest any should boast. And people might hear my preaching and as they did with Paul and say, Well, now you're giving them a license to sin. To hell with licenses to sin. That's not the point. Some of you are getting it right now and you're getting free. The point is stop beating yourself up doesn't matter what new moon festival you have, how many times you clock yourself reading the Bible. Of course we set up disciplines. I'm one of the most disciplined men you'll know. My wife will attest to that. But you've got to sometimes just walk in what God called you to walk in. Purity. People have asked me, Joe, how have you gone 14 years without pornography? It's not because I fasted 100 days out the year. It's because I believed when Jesus said I am who He said I am. I am. Set free. Believe it today. Believe it today. There's nothing in in Egypt for you anymore. There's a promised land. Would you hold each other's hand right now? You're holding a believer's hand in this place. They are going to be an example in speech. They're going to be an example today. They're going to be an example today of speech. They're going to be an example today in their life. In their love, faith, and purity, pray for them for the next 30 seconds right now. Lord, bless each person here. Let each person know, God, that they're not alone. You're not alone. Whatever you're going through today, you're not alone. There's a plan and purpose for you. There is a plan and purpose for you. You are not alone. I feel like so many times I have to remind you of that because of all the ups and downs you've had with your family and moving from one campus to the other. But I just want you to hear it one more time. You're not alone. This is right where you belong. This is right where you belong. You're right in God's perfect will. Stop questioning. This is now where you will grow. Praise God. Come on, same thing with you. You're like the little engine that could. You're always trying to fight it in the flesh. That's why I just hear the Lord saying you're trying to do it on your own. Become the spiritual person God called you to be. It will produce good fruit. And I'm not talking about a a, a spiritual granola Christian. You're always trying to, you know, make it happen in that way either. But just spiritual in the sense of if you're led by the Spirit, you will not gratify the deeds of the flesh. How do you get done your 201? How do you do the things God asks you to do? You be led by the Spirit. Jesus, all over you right now, I wish I could pray for every one of you. I pray for guidance in what you're planning right now. God, to give you a clear path and clear direction, not of man, but of His Spirit. God, I thank you today for Brian. Lord, continue to guide and lead him. Bless him in what he does. In the name of Jesus, if you love the Lord, can you say amen? Amen. Can you bless God today, believers?